John is recording the call. John. Oh. <laughs> what? John is recording the what? The call. The call. Um, which one do you want to be just known as Raul or Raul Perez or? Yeah, that's fine. Raul Perez is fine with me. Okay, cool. I don't know. Some people are a little more like, hide my enemy, despite the fact I'm on social media with my full hand in this, on display. <laughs> my name out in social media is Raul Perez. Yeah. I'm son under Hanchiava Giraldi. And I'm here to talk. <laughs> okay, yeah. So I guess that, that'll that'll be an easy that'll be an easy. All right, that'll just be the call to open. Without belts, and as you kind of heard from the cold open, I have with me the wonderful, the the only Raúl Perez. Good evening, good morning, and good night. Yeah, you're enjoying. What are you? What are you drinking now? I've seen he, you. You've had this interesting social media like splurge of just being like, "Here is all the whiskey I've consumed in the last week. Here is all the whiskey <laughs> I've just recently bought." <laughs> all right, quick story before we get into, I guess, uh, the fun stuff. I was suffering from uh, a torn, uh, torn ligament in my left elbow Ooh. for two and a half years. Please. And uh, yes, uh, it was. Too much uh, well, no, it, it's, it was a combination of I was moving from a downstairs apartment to an upstairs apartment, and I did the move almost by myself with the help of my wife and, and some family members. But I did most of the lifting and the painting and stuff over the course of four days, uh, and it really aggravated my elbow. And then a week. After the move, I did a 12-mile Tough Mudder, which is like a 12-mile obstacle course race run. And one of, uh, I don't know if you remember him, uh, Vu? Vu? Yeah, yeah, I remember Vu. He got me into it, and uh, we were going over a wall. And I got over, and he couldn't make it, so I reached over and pulled him over with a bad elbow. And uh, I think uh, whatever whatever was there was torn at, at that point. So, so uh, I had got surgery. Uh, about a year ago, two years ago, I, I couldn't do anything. So I figured I'd pick up drinking. So I just, I did a lot of research and I, I figured I was, yeah. yeah, that's what you gotta do. You gotta be classy about it. And, uh, I, I looked into Kentucky bourbon. Uh, I like the, the flavor profiles, vanilla, caramel, maple, brown sugar. Uh, that's kind of like the, the standard profiles of the different brands. And uh, I tried a few out, and I really started to fall in love with it. And uh, I got about, I don't know, 20 or 30 bottles sitting on my dresser. So tonight, I am drinking Elijah Craig, small batch, 94 proof, and uh, it's delicious. Fantastic. I'm Since it's about almost the afternoon, well, it's more or less morning for me, it's still late morning, I guess. Uh, just, it's about 11, a, 11, 11 a.m. So, okay. So I've got the it's fairly overcast. I'm just imbibing coffee after being off the wagon for a day or two. So it's all good. It's yeah. uh, about ten fifteen, no, ten twelve here, p.m. See, we we never try to date this as as much as we just, <laughs> but that's all. Okay. So so you so but your ligaments. Backward. Oh, yeah, it healed, it healed 100%. It took about nine months rehab and uh, weightlifting, and it, it, it still wasn't 100% after four months. I, uh, I'm, a, I com- I'm a competitive shooter okay. uh, when I can. Shotgun, rifle, handgun. But uh, I couldn't do handgun shooting for a while because of it. And the uh, my pistol instructor had uh, given me uh, exercises for 10 NIs for, for pistol shooters. And he said, try it, see if it works. And within uh, six weeks, it cleared it up. Good. Had that issue just with my legs more than my my hands and elbows and stuff. So I can definitely understand. And it's good that you had an instructor to help you out with that. Because I, I was just, heal, damn it, heal. And oh, it was brutal. <laughs> yeah. It, that, that is never a fast road. It's always a slow road. Yeah, very, very slow route. I mean, the two years, it was five five cortisone shots. Uh, The the fifth one was how to get me through my busy season at work. 
because I couldn't take time off. There was a lot of people quit and they kind of just really needed me. So I kind of took over the team. So there was a risk that I could tear the, the tendon off the bone because of the shots. Luckily that wasn't the case, but there was a risk. And so they went in, he cut part of the tendon off the bone and then sewed it back together and uh, seems to be okay. But I got a nice uh, inch and a half inch scar right over my funny bone. Eesh. Yeah. Eesh. That's knock on whatever kind of concrete wood I've got. I've never had to deal with anything like that. Hopefully, hopefully I never will. I hope, nobody, I hope you don't you never do, but uh, you know, it comes with the territory. You get older, you, uh, you get involved in contact sports, being a wrestler, football, and full contact fighter. You, you know, you're gonna, you're gonna beat yourself up a little bit and uh, you know, you know, it is what it is. Exactly. And Raul, I mean, I'm kind of to toot your horn a little, you know, he was, you were one of the first people I had really seen both promote traditional Okinawan Kempo, tr- promote traditional o- Okinawan martial arts, but in the same boat, in the same time, say, we must do full contact fighting. Full contact fighting is a part of traditional. Um, yes. Cut out and all this stuff. And this was way, way back in the days of the baby days of the internet when, uh, we really didn't have like Facebook or you know, we had these like weird disparate forums. Yes. Com. Yeah. And whatever else people yeah. are creating and, and whatnot. And I remember you were one of the voices, not only of, not only of experience, but of moderation. You never, you never really seem to take massive jabs at people or be like a complete a-hole towards yeah. anyone at that end. That had a, really endeared me to at least pursue pursuing you know a communication with you and i remember we had it was the first email we had i was you know, just started college <laughs> and you were like not the nicest guy possible and you, when you didn't have to be so i guess it was a belated 16 14 16 year thank you for that oh no i mean anybody who's interested in martial arts and anybody who wants to get involved in the true essence of what we're trying to do is we're trying to protect our lives, the lives of others around us that we that we care about. Why would I want to be disrespectful to somebody who's trying to get into it? I mean, everyone has baby steps. Everyone has their own goals in martial arts. But uh, at the end of the day, the true martial arts is about life protection. And if you're going to study life protection, you have to take it to a point where you got to put yourself in an un- What's the word I'm looking for? A, a position where you're uncomfortable because when it comes down to it, you're going to be uncomfortable in the situation when it becomes live. So yeah. you want to be as realistic as possible, but at the same token, you want to also be safe. And uh, there's, a, there's a happy medium in between. Wearing gear, maybe just training one aspect of it, like ground fighting, is something I really like doing, being coming from a wrestling background, collegiate wrestling. You can go very, very full tilt and not really harm the other person to the point where they get an injury, maybe get banged up a little bit. Uh, full contact strikes, that's another story. You, you, you know, you're going to get, you're going to get bumps and bruises and, and you, you're going to, you know, break a pinky toe or, or you're going to hurt your, hurt your shins and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, you can take precautions by wearing some gear and uh, you can make it where the other person is not letting you do what you want to do. And in doing so, you get real data from that, especially right. when it comes to bunkai. Well, and I think this is this is where kind of the rubber meets the road for traditional karate people and kind of maybe back up back up a little to that point is where you know people start karate and you know, what are the things they normally do when they start you know, they'll get into a horse stance. They'll get into, say, something. They'll get onto like a front stance. They'll get into, right. you know, they'll learn the stances and things like that. And for a lot of people, they don't see that as directly translating to like a full contact type fighting situation. And in fact, it almost seems counterintuitive because if you kind of go down the line of like, I don't know, anybody's curriculum, it kind of goes stances, punches, blocks. Random exercise, random exercise two, random exercise whatever, form, form two, and then at some point over along that line, they jump into full, they jump into some sort of sparring. And for right. a lot of Okinawan karate, 
nowadays and for probably last 30, 40, 50 years. Kind of maybe use Karate Kid as a good like post for that. Right. Uh, because I feel like that's that's exact. I was we talked about that movie a while back, a little bit ago, and I feel like that's a good marker for how people view fighting with karate, like kumite and stuff like that. And it doesn't mesh with what you're initially taught. And that's that's where I feel like you know, maybe the, what, what flaws do you think kind of allow for this to happen, where you end up having people doing their basics. And their basics don't really re- kind of relate to their form, but then once they get to both self-defense or you know practical application of bunkai and sparring, it almost goes in two completely different directions. Right. All right. So um, it's funny because coming from a, a classical martial arts uh, of uh, Okinawa Tei, and then transitioning to uh, being a, a guest instructor in a Krav Maga school, I actually saw the benefits of the beginning parts of what you're talking about, which was the stances and the foundation. So the, the whole idea of the stances and the foundations initially is, is to put a foundation of power generation. So you're getting into a horse stance to have some sort of stability for a certain t- technique now these stances in in when it translates into full contact fighting are split second in time it, it's 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 an ever-flowing chaotic environment but those stances the the root of those stances last for a half a second but in that half a second when you're delivering the techniques you're generating the most maximum power you can from your body type teaching people from krav maga who don't start out with that type of training i found that they didn't have proper generation of power. So you'd have to look at it from a different way. I'd have to teach them from a fighting stance how to generate power. And it took a little bit longer. Some picked up quicker than others, but on the whole, it was a little more difficult for me. But you get creative. You find different ways to do things. And uh, you, you teach them on their level. And you can do it. But so is, I guess the phases are the first phase is to get your stances so you can learn how to get proper body mechanics. How can I align my skeleton, align my muscles, everything in line to generate the most power I can to my target? That's what you're doing with the beginning stances. Then with the kata, you're learning to take those stances, transition from one stance to another as you move along and practice your bunkai which a kata is the master's favorite techniques of life preservation. And our lifelong goal is to figure out what that meant. Nobody knows what they mean anymore. And it's very difficult to figure it out. So you've got to do your best to figure out what do these moves mean from, you know, a striking method to a grappling method to a Kyushu jitsu, which is, you know, vital point striking to Tuite jitsu, which is, grappling with arms and uh and then there's throws all that other stuff you kind of have to kind of figure it out some styles are better at certain things than other styles so okinawans always cross-trained with each other to kind of see you know trying to get more well-roundedness so i always encourage people after you get to a certain level hey go see what the other person is doing and then the final phase is can you do it against someone who doesn't want you to do it and that's where it kind of gets into full contact. That's where I feel that that's where people, I, I don't want to say average Joe or your average Jill or whatever, but that's where I think that's where the rubber hits the road in terms of do people really want to do this or do they not? Do they just want to do it up until a certain point? Which is fine. Everyone has their own idea of what, of what martial arts is to them. I came from a very combative background. I grew up in a bad neighborhood. I was mugged with a knife going walking uh, home from high school, probably ninth grade. I was uh, jumped by guys in a car while I was riding my bike in my neighborhood just because they just decided to punch me in the head. And uh, I got in, I was in football. I stopped growing. <laughs> so I, I went into wrestling. And then when I got to college, I was fortunate enough to get involved in martial arts. And it was Oyata's system of karate which was from uh, Shigeru Nakamura. And Shigeru Nakamura, back in the 1950s, began testing out kendo equipment to apply full contact fighting 
so they can have the best of both worlds. You've got your kata, you've got your forms, you've got your foundation, and now you have to apply to somebody who's really trying to hurt you. And that is the essence of karate. So I was lucky, knock on wood, that uh, I walked into a place that taught me something that I was actually looking for. Now, if you want to go and train karate and do the forms and do yakusoku kumite which is a pre-designated self-defense where somebody throws a strike that you know or they're gonna they're gonna hit you in your chest or your face and you have a pre-set form of self-defense and that's it that's all you want to get out of it that's fine but if you're really training for pure self-defense and someone's gonna try to hit you with whatever they're gonna hit you with you're gonna have to take it to the next step and you're gonna have to put on some gear and say hey I'm going to punch you in the face. You can punch me in the face. Let's see what happens. This is kind of where I see it. not an issue with what you're saying, but an issue more with how, how it's been passed on in that regard, where you have a lot of people who maybe had that experience, maybe did not. Maybe they only got to the point of going yakusoku kumite or kind of like not even to the point of being able to been under the rules of no punching to the face, kicking to the face maybe, yep. which I don't quite understand, but you know, only punching to the body, maybe gear, maybe not gear. And then these people go go along in their training and they potentially open their own schools, right? Yep. And not, I'm not talking about any, any style in specific, but I mean, this is, happens in Okinawan karate a lot where you get these people who open the schools and they've never been punched in the face. They've never had to, had to get gear on to do that. And then they meet someone like yourself and the people you train with, people kind of around, in and around, you know, who want, who do full contact work. And then, you know, they get, I've seen a turn from going to, we do, you know, full Okinawan karate, blah, 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 blah. And I see people start actually mixing it up. And they're you know, kind of just look over in the corner and like, well, you know, we only focus on self-defense. We don't focus on, you know, this sports crap. And then, like, they start trying to yeah around it. And yeah. I understand why they do that. It's not good, but I understand. So I guess, I guess then it's, it is really like, how do you get that guy to not only a, to not only a come around to understanding why it's important to work on that type of stuff, but to take the risk to actually do it. It's got to, everybody has to figure that out on their own. Unfortunately, I wish there was a, a magical pill you can give someone and say, Hey, <laughs> If you take this, you'll figure out that you really need to take it to the next level. But like I said, everyone has their own idea of what martial arts is. Now, my understanding from discussions with a lot of people over the Internet is that in the 1950s and 60s and 70s, when our U.S. soldiers were learning karate and bringing it back, they were really kind of instituting that type of point point sparring style in the states even though okinawa at the time was really geared towards full contact they had the bogu gear they had regular bogu kumite champions and championships events and fortunately when they went to the states it was really hard to keep students on the um, on the enrollment if they were getting banged up and beat up then Which in the 70s it looks like there was a lot of dojo wars and uh, people were kind of doing a lot more full contact fighting kind of but they weren't wearing gear and when you when you fight people bare knuckle you don't keep people for very long because you get a lot of injuries and well, like it was a lot of stupid it was just a lot of stupid going around but i mean a like lot of fight yeah, I don't know how much of that's really apocryphal, or how much of that's really real, but I mean, the 70s, from what I understand here, I mean, because I'm in Japan, Bogu, Bogu, or like, full, the attempt to use full, con, full contact fighting had always been a seed. There had always been a, a, a try, a, even attempts before the war to start using that in, in terms of doing kumite and stuff like that. Yeah. How I think it was probably after the after the war and you know, Okinawa was a mess, and so having whatever you you know had around, and I think it's just they happened to have had the kendo gear that they could use, and there's other pictures I think 
I think from going back to the 20s of them trying to use something similar. I don't know if it was Kendo Gear necessarily. I've seen but... some that look modified uh, umpire or catcher's head mask. Yeah, because all these pictures can get attributed to like different people and, you know, where, yeah, where exactly it was. Yeah, Nakamura wasn't the first person to invent Bogo Kumite, but he was the strongest proponent for it and had, a, had enough clout because he was considered a, a Kempo master that uh, a lot of people took his word and uh, he was able to organize a lot of uh, a lot of events to actually have these things happen. They still happen today. They still happen. Yeah. Uh, what is it? The Shonen MG guys have a decent group of people who do it. There's still a decent group of a number of people who still do that. It's just not widespread. No, and 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 I think it's also good. It goes into like this is as much to do with culture today. I feel where it's like we have back in the day you had like three different TV stations and now you have a million different microcosms of like different things you can watch and see and, and stuff. And I think this is the same thing that happened with karate and karate styles and schools is where it got from, you know, there's just being one or two guys who really knew, knew what they were doing to it just splintering off in all sorts of different ways. So you have a couple people who still really understand, you know, that full contact fighting as we understand with Bogo Kumite. But there's still others who I feel they they do their best to keep all the pads and pads involved. And so, which is the only thing I think that's the detraction with Bogo Kumite is that Bogo's not cheap. No, and it's not it's not cheap. A good set of Bogo gear is gonna well when I did it, ran me about three hundred bucks. I'm seeing it's upward about $500 now, but that's, I mean, we're talking 20 years goes by and, you know, yeah. prices go, but, uh, I mean, you can get a, yeah, you can get a pro force. I started out with a pro force face cage helmet, which you can still buy today. You can get that for like 40 bucks and, uh, you can get yourself, you know, a decent, uh, chest gear for another 30 bucks. You can get yourself some shin guards for, for 15 bucks. You're still golden, man. You can still get enough protection. Yeah. And I, I think that that's where a lot of people kind of get a little frightened <laughs> frightened by that. But then I guess it goes into the other question of just if you cannot do that kind of contact for kind of like whatever reason, right? Like right. maybe the dangers of, of that. You were talking about like kind of some of the injuries that you sustained, but there's, you know, other, you know, for example, boxers deal with kind of brain injuries and whatnot yeah. after long and you know there's the comparison to be made between you know all these karate people over here who are doing essentially calisthenics with a kind of a martial arts flavor most of the time and then you have boxers and now what's become more prominent and may fighters and stuff who are getting in there and doing you know doing it really hard and doing full contact a lot of the time you know there's really seem to be the big divide there between what can who can accommodate what and now it seems more like karate accommodates people on a more broad spectrum, but doesn't seem to be as practical as opposed to these boxers and Muay Thai guys and MMA guys who are more focused on the fighting, which maybe 30, 40 years ago was not seen as the same seen as the case with karate. And I don't know what that, what exactly that, where exactly that stemmed from, but. I, I don't know where that did stem from. Uh, my only thought, in this is as an instructor gets older the less inclined the instructor is to mix it up with their students and then uh and i'm seeing it in um in my system as well not my particular group but in general as as a as a high-ranking instructor gets older they're not going to get involved in the full contact aspect because of the higher risk of injuries involved and they've already put their time in. I mean, if, you're, if, the, if the guy was fighting full contact for 15, 20 years, and now he's got, you know, maybe a little bit of a bad back, his knees hurt a little bit, he, he wants to preserve his body so he can teach them the fundamentals and have his younger staff continue on with the, with the, with the full contact training, that's fine. But if they don't promote that to their younger staff and the staff then just kind of sits back and plays with just the foundation, the Yakuzoku Kumite. Then you start to see the, the, the difference in understanding of Bunkai, which is kind of what I want to talk about with this too. Sure. A, person, a person who's been in 
if a live environment where the other person is really trying to hurt them and not allowing them to do the techniques and actually has to apply their techniques against a resisting opponent and get their techniques off, kind of knows what it what it takes to to do the bunkai. And then you can apply a bunkai which seems very realistic to them. Whereas those people who don't really put themselves in a live environment tend to come up with some bunkai that seem to be a little over complicated and unrealistic. For example, I, I've seen uh, some bunkai where somebody would do a block punch and then for some reason would try to reach underneath the person's arm and grab their head and then do a, like a head flip. I've never had the opportunity when someone's trying to punch me in the face, knee me in the, in, in the groin and try to sweep me, have, would I be able to reach underneath their arm, grab their head and flip them? <laughs> right. I mean, there's, very... you never know, I guess, where, I mean, not to play devil's advocate in that regard, but yeah. uh, you never know what kind of situations you end up getting yourself into. And you need to kind of, to quote a man who's not here, you have to improvise, adapt and overcome. Yeah, I understand. I, I've been in, unfortunately, a few altercations where I didn't want to be in, and I'd had to use my martial arts to defend myself, especially against a family member of mine. And I wasn't very proud of it, but the techniques that come out are gross motor movements for the most part. You don't have the fine motor skills that you think you would have. Right. I did strike vital points. I was able to disable them long enough to get away because that's the whole goal of martial arts is to get away and preserve your life not to take someone's life unless you actually have to but it's 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 i don't know when i see some bunk for example okay single block right we're right. very familiar with single block and uh, and a lot of the the um the accepted bunkai for single block one of them is you know is the the lead hand in the single block is the deflection and then which hits usually on the radial nerve and then the other hand that comes underneath would then strike, usually performed against somebody who's doing a, a forward punch on you. Right. Now, take that forward punch and turn it into a jab, a fast jab, a multiple fast jab, one jab, two jab, three jabs. It's very difficult, if not impossible, to deflect, get out of the way, step forward, and then throw a single block strike to the face while someone's jabbing, moving, and being very, very mobile. It's just, it's something that doesn't occur. So playing around with that in a live environment, you kind of get an understanding that that single block maybe is more conducive in a grappling situation or if the person has already grabbed you. Or if you have to, maybe that single block would be a simultaneous parry and strike, which is a straight strike instead of the twisting up strike. So it's straight out as opposed to coming up. Pearl's just doing a lot, doing a lot of technique, technique, and I'm like, I might cut that, cut this into a video, but this okay. Let me take a step back and, and explain what I'm saying. So the single block is okay. Here. We are going to cut this for, for video. Here, here, right? Yeah. So you would parry, step, strike. That's a lot of time. That is yeah. a lot of time you got a ways to get that off. All right. So I'm thinking if you're in a grappling situation, you can strike radial nerve and strike in, or you can parry and strike automatically. You right. see a lot of the Wing Chun. I think that would be more conducive to a live environment. When I see people sidestep, blocking, single block, that's to give the give the user an idea of what that could be. But when you start playing with this in real life and someone really is trying to punch you in the face, and I'm thinking I'm going to do a video on this later on as soon as the dojos open up uh, when the virus is kind of, kind of given way to kind of give a little more context to what I'm talking about. It, 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 it's kind of hard to do when someone's moving around and punching you and moving around and moving the head around and bang, bang. That's... It's hard to do. You don't know what they're going to do. You don't know if they're going to kick or punch or, or sidestep. And you got to have that experience. You got to you got to get in there and understand how people actually move, how people actually are trying to hit you and hurt you. And once you understand what they're doing and understand that the basic principles, how to avoid and counter some of the bunkai you start to see that people are doing might be a little not up to par and it's because they're sitting at the lower level well there's a lot of assumption being made it's assuming that it will be that right hand punch going at a certain pace right yeah i mean that a good technique can be applied if it 
the wrong way. So if if I'm looking to block bury to parry their 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 jab, but they throw their 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 cross or the reverse punch, and that same motion should be able to deflect both bolts. So if your technique is only good on one technique, maybe that technique is not good. Maybe that bunkai isn't as sound as you really think it is. Because in real life, I shouldn't be able to think. I should be able to just react using my natural, natural God-given talents of deflection. My natural reaction should be a little bit honed with karate to deflect and strike at the same time. And if you can't do that, you got to look at your, your training and you got to kind of get yourself to that point i think that's the that's the point of like the reevaluate getting people to reevaluate their training i think is a, is a very tough thing and i think it's it very easy, it's very easy for people to kind of latch on to maybe oh this guy's saying this so i'm gonna you know join up with whatever he's doing ah this guy's saying this well i like what he's saying and that's something i always try to avoid here yeah i like what we are gods saying. we can be fallible no, absolutely. I mean, there's not everything that I can do. Not everyone can do. I'm, 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 I'm a shorter person. I'm five foot four. Uh, during my fighting weight, I was 150 to 155 pounds. I'm 151 right now, so I'm still in my fighting weight. Thank God. <laughs> but um, I'm lighter. So, and and when we do Bogu Kumite, it's there is no weight class. So I would go against guys up to 265, which wasn't fun. So I have to be faster. I have to be more evasive and I have to be more in and out where someone of a larger stature doesn't have to be as mobile because they have more body mass, more bone density, more muscle fiber. They can deliver a stronger bolt, stronger blow, and they can take harder blows. I cannot. So it, it, it varies on the person, varies on their body type, but everyone, if they want to take it to the next level, has to understand what it's like when someone's really trying to hit you in the face. You see this a lot in China, right? Right now too if you go on youtube you can see that there's a lot of challenge matches between mma guys and traditional chinese martial arts uh, i do want to tackle this topic at, at one point because there's a yeah. lot of different there's a lot of different in and outs going on i forget what the guys we mentioned not in like flipping a year ago i mentioned it on here but yeah that's an interesting issue on a lot of different levels but yeah, sorry i didn't mean that's okay, you, but the, 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 the crux of the story is you got masters or at least high-ranking uh, students who have never fought full contact and basically have gone into the assumption that their training would be sufficient for a full contact environment, get challenged by, you know, a, a fairly okay mixed martial artist. And once they get punched in the face, all that beautiful technique goes out the window for that traditional martial artist. and the MMA guy who's already lived in a chaotic environment just basically picks them apart within either a minute to maybe a few seconds. And it, it, it kind of gets them thinking either they have missed something in their training or they're going to keep going with what they're doing and, and just think that, you know, the rules were against them. And for lack of a better word, yes, it probably is. They couldn't poke him in the eye. They couldn't kick him in the groin, but they still could have punched him in the face, and they still could have moved around, and they weren't they weren't um, familiar with someone really trying to hurt them, and I guess that was to their detriment, unfortunately. Well, and I think, what is it? There's, I don't know, again, we're not here to bash anybody, but there's old footage of like a Chinese boxing tournament from, I think it was like somewhere around like the 1900s. It was like some of the first footage of like this, I forget where, but it's it shows people doing forms and it's like old black and white and grainy footage and of these like guys getting together doing forms and then it comes to actual sparring and it just looks like a weird cat fight. Yeah. And it, and it might just like, is this just a, you know, product of the footage is this just a weird like were people drunk at the time and you know you, you go back a hundred years everyone's got like low like low grade low, low grade tertiary syphilis and like a, you know possible possibly like other medical issues that you know hundred years ago we were we were suffering from things we don't suffer from today yeah some no, of that just that's how people fight if you've, you've actually studied the anatomy of, of a fight and and really kind of looked I did a lot of research into just, you know, street brawls and stuff like that. It's just, just because when, when someone's going to, a very aggressive person's going to come at you, nine times out of ten, they've won street fights, but they haven't been formally trained in, in any fighting gym. But 
they know what it takes to, to close distance, to have conversation, and, and to just get close enough to hit you. And that one good pop for most people is going to kind of put them on their butt, and uh, and they're going to be at, at the mercy of someone who's at an advantageous position. So most fights are, you know, they have very crude techniques. They have very um, wild, open throws, and uh, it looks like windmill cat fighting. Yeah. And, you know, uh, but when they do it to a trained fighter, when you kind of look at the other footage against a, a trained fighter who's trained in a, in a full contact environment, the person will use head movement, will use, you know, Taisabaki um, body movement, and will really just kind of pick them apart, even multiple people. And, you know, that's the contrast. You know, if you know you're going to be going against someone who's going to try to hurt you and, and try to come at you, and the, the techniques are probably going to be wild. And then you train against someone who's very trained. And, and you train in a very live environment, you're getting such a beneficial data uh, collection from fighting someone who's trained, you're trained, and then when you go against someone who's untrained, it's like a man versus a boy almost. Yeah. <laughs> and we say that when I was going wrestling too, because when I was coming up through wrestling, when you when you wrestle a lot, and I'm not, not just talking like the regular wrestling season where it's like, you know, uh, the high school wrestling season, like three or four months, but you go into freestyle wrestling and then you just wrestle year round. When you come back to somebody who, who just wrestled for four months, took the whole rest of the school year off, took the summer off and then came back to wrestling and you were wrestling for 12 months out of that year, you feel like a man wrestling a boy <laughs> right? because you've put yourself into a full content environment for such a long time, you've seen a lot of things that what people are going to do and a lot of what untrained people are going to do. And you just capitalize on that very significantly. So you see these traditional martial artists who haven't been in a live environment versus somebody who's been in a live environment for a year, for 12 months. They're going to capitalize on your mistakes because they know what noobs are going to do. I guess, but I mean, like, the, because then it's it's not really traditional. I think it, it, you, you said it really well a little bit ago. Is it's people who are resting on their laurels to a degree, only doing the kind of foundational level stuff. And they're not, I mean, if you're a teacher, right, and you're teaching right. teaching students, you actually have an advantage of, of trying to get somebody who's less experienced than you, but could, uh, God, I remember some of the guys you fought in your old school. I mean, I remember those guys. I fought a couple of them. You know, get some of those guys, but if they're maybe less experienced, still coming at you, huge people or just, you know, people of different sizes and stuff. Yeah, so I like to think, you know, your, your students are basically people who are going to be your, I don't want to say meat bags, but like going to be throwing throwing things at you you're going to be your practice until they're your training partners you know yeah absolutely and, and you can dig deep with that and make the mistakes with them because if you i mean i'm not worried about losing face with people i've been punched in the face by my students and i was like hey you got a good one out off there but you know if you're so worried about losing face you can just say oh i meant for you to do that now nah, i uh it's funny because um I had, uh, because of my surgery, I had to take a long sabbatical off of uh, getting in and mixing it up. But as soon as I started feeling better, um, I hadn't, because of my fighting style, my fighting, my personal fighting style is um, very in and out. I had to be a lot more mobile because of my stature. So um, because of that, I have to have a lot more cardio. Uh, getting older, obviously, cardio is a little bit tougher. But, you know, I had, I had taken some time off. So two of my students were mixing it up and they looked at me, hey, you want to join us? And I'm like, yeah, I kind of do. I have, <laughs> and um, one of the guys is, is a very good fighter. His name is Doug, and um, he's taller. He's probably like uh, at least six foot, and he had a significant reach advantage on me, and a lot of ring rust on my end. And I got in there, and uh, I got popped in the face about three or four times, and I said, "What am I doing wrong?" And then I realized, "Hey, I'm not moving. <laughs> I'm not moving." And uh, it's not like I let him hit me. It's like, you know, I was, it was what it is what it is. Eventually, as I settled in, I was able to you know keep him off and uh, work my kicks because uh, every time I got close to him, he was able to pop me. So, you know, you have to use your experience and say, okay, well, if I get at this distance, he can hit me. But if he's not comfortable at a certain distance, and he wasn't very comfortable at a, at a medium range distance, he's more comfortable at a closer range distance. If I sit here a little bit longer, wait him out a little bit. 
maybe I can get a little more shots off him. And then I was able to kind of tag him a little bit. But, you know, if you go into facing your students and you go in and face them and you think that you're going to capitalize on them and you get popped, you should own that. You yeah. need to own that because if you don't own that, you're not, you're not seeing the hole in your own game. And uh, you have to take your ego and let it, let it go down. He hit me and hit me good. And I, I appreciate that he did because it, he said, hey, you're slacking, old man. Pick it up. <laughs> and eventually I, I did. But, uh, you know, he, in that match, I think he got the better of me. And, and I, you know, and I appreciate that because after that match, I hit the bags a little harder. I, got, I did a little more road work and got my cardio up a little bit. So, you know, when it came down to me and him going at it again, I was a little bit more prepared because he let my holes expose and I didn't want that to happen and let the ego out. That reminds me of something I heard at a, I heard in a movie one time, um, is that you're never, just because you go in there and you potentially get popped by people who you've been training, it doesn't mean that's the only time you're ever going to be doing that. No. And you know what? And that's a reflection of me because I taught him that. Yeah, Exactly. He's doing what, you know, I taught him and he's doing a really good job of it. And you know what? Eventually he will take the reins. Another guy named Steve I've been working with a lot. He has, you know, come a long way and he's had to, you know, he's not much taller than me. And, uh, you know, he has a hard time getting, he sits in the pocket and gets popped. And I said, well, you're not tall. So you got to move a little bit. So he's been working on his cardio and he's been working on his movement and he's seeing a little bit more, um, well, before the virus hit, but he was seeing a lot more improvement where he was starting to get a lot more pops off because he was moving. He wasn't being a stationary target. So, you know, each person has to work on something different and based on their body type. Again, body type is kind of key. And I didn't think it was, but it is. If you're a bigger person, you can sit in the pocket a lot longer. When you're a shorter person, you, you, the pocket isn't for you. You kind of got to be more of like a ricochet rabbit type person. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, that's, that's something... I think the, the issue with traditional martial arts, and especially karate, has kind of put out the, the idea that anyone can do these techniques and it will be one size fits all. When, in fact, that was never the case. Nope. And, it was, and if you look at how the styles kind of, quote unquote styles, how people have trained, they've trained to their own body type. And the real good teachers have tried to adjust the training for other their students body types to get them to understand how to make their body types move and stuff like that yeah with the kata all the kata i mean in our in in, in our system i mean we both train the same system uh we have the 12 basic kata of shigeru nakamura all the kata isn't going to be relevant to you it, it's you know you have to know all the katas you can train other people but you're going to settle on certain techniques certain, certain theories certain certain concepts that are contained in the kata for your body type that is going to be unique to you and, in, and that is your goal as, as training on your own and training uh in, in a live environment as, a, as an instructor your 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 uh, your goal is spend the 12 kata but but it, but and also to identify their body type identify their their innate skills and what they're really good at and really developing that to their best potential so it's it's a double-edged sword yeah and it's not an easy one. To, it's it's not an easy one to kind of figure out because you don't. No, it's not. It, you, yeah, that takes time, and it could take, and it generally takes years. So, yeah, absolutely. Well, is there anything else you feel we got we got to hammer on the head with this topic? Uh, well, if you're listening to this podcast, and the, I think that the the best thing to take out of this is there's there's three levels to training okay there is the foundation training which is you know you, I, I get speaking from a, a classical or traditional martial arts perspective there is the um there is the the foundation which is obviously your line drills um and the single tech practice you know front kicks single box, all your, um, side kicks and all that stuff and then the next step would be partner drills which would be yakusoku kumite which is a, a fairly compliant a partner who is coming at you with a predetermined attack and kind of, kind of identifying what the what the attack looks like and and what you should be doing to address that uh, with the certain pre-designed techniques. After that, that's where the fun begins. That's where you gotta kind of put on the gear and you gotta really and then I'm, I'm saying that not like you have to, but 
if you really want to take yourself to the next level, you want to put on the gear, you want to look the person across the mat from you and say, hey, you can do whatever you want to do. I'm going to do whatever I'm going to do under a certain set of rules. You know, don't kick me in the groin, you know. And if I say stop, if, if you take me down and you're sitting on top of me, you're patting me in the face and I say stop, can you stop and we can reset and kind of figure out how that happened? Yeah. Uh, and, you know, really kind of go at each other with a series of full techniques and, and, and see where it takes us. Now, here's, here's where after that, this is where it kind of gets fun. After you do that, you take two things. You, you take what you did right and you say, hey, this technique came out at the right time, at the right, at the right moment, and it really struck this person. And I saw, I saw um, their body cave, and I saw that they, I sweeped them, I threw them. That was good. And then the other thing is, is well, during the match, I got popped in the face a lot. How do I address it now? What do you do with that? Well, you got to train to not let that happen again. How do you do that? You got to work on head move. You got to work on body move. You got to work on moving in and striking at the same time. You got to move. You got to work on disengaging your opponent when you actually get a few techniques off and get away because after you hit someone in the face chances are they're going to swing right back at you do you want to sit there and take the hits or do you want to kind of evade it and then recounter again or do you want to sit there and sit in the pocket if you want to sit in the pocket you got to learn some techniques to deflect and cover up as you're striking to sit in the pocket and get the better of your opponent you got to play with both sides of the coin and it takes a lot of shadow boxing, a lot of bag work, uh, a lot of partner bag work, and a lot of live training with, with someone who wants to get the same benefit of the training with you. And, you know, after that, you're going to be a lot more well-rounded and a better fighter and, a better, and in a better position to defend your life than someone who kind of sits there and does pre-designated self-defense, in my opinion. Sorry, I didn't want to stop you there, but in town I live in, we have a 12 o'clock bell that plays a nice little melody. So while you were while you were going there, I'm just like, God damn it. <laughs> so you were like, you got to get in the pocket. You got to learn how to defend everything. Da, na, 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 na. It's almost over. Welcome to Japan, folks. We have, bell, we have a bell. At, we generally, there's a bell at 12, there's a bell at 3, there's a bell at 5. So nice. some sort of music used to be town I used to live in was at seven. Didn't want to derail you there, and I, I agree with everything you just said. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, the training involved when, you, when you're training for a full contact environment is a lot more, um, you kind of break away from the foundation because the foundation's already set. You're going to break away w with a lot of the Yakusoku Kumite because that's, you, you kind of gain, gain an understanding of what the technique's trying to do, and then you're really trying to gauge what the technique can do. Right. And there isn't enough people who are saying what you're saying. And I feel, or they're saying it, but they're not doing it. And it's, yeah. and, and it's I, hard I was, to I was fortunate. That. I was fortunate because the, uh, after you, I reached Yellow Belt, so after about three months in, they put a headgear on me and says, okay, what do you got? <laughs> and I said, okay, well, I'll show you what I got. Show her what I don't got, and then uh, you kind of you kind of go from there. Where a lot of s systems will just kind of sit in that point fighting stage, where you're like, I'll hit to the body, but I won't punch to the face. But in reality, everyone's a headhunter in in the street, and you got to know how to deal with someone who's trying to take your head off. Yeah, definitely. And I feel I've grown from even just we've we've only really gotten on the floor with each other a couple times. I was actually thinking before, because you had been off social media and off of all of that for a good long while. Probably, That's 10, 10 years. And I, you know, it's not just for, you know, well, I didn't see him on social media, so whatever. But um, I think last time we were actually on the floor together was 2012. But I'm going to tell a little story about, I'm going to embarrass you in the good way, because this is kind of going off of what I said in the beginning was, you know, to be, to show Raul's character here, you know, I was 18, 19, you know, didn't know my ass from a hole in the ground. There's some seminar up, I was living in Philly at the time, there's a seminar up in New York, and I've, like, not known, met or known any of these guys. Raul was, like, my only point of contact, and I was like, is it all right that I go to the seminar? And instead of, you know, just them saying yes or no or whatever, Raul, like, stepped up to the plate, he was like, I will be responsible for John, you know, coming and going. I'll make sure he gets to where he needs to go. You know, I got off the train, like, I think it was Smithtown where you guys were at the time. 
and you picked me up and, you know, just treated me like, you know, you treat anybody else, took me over where I was going to go, you know, gave me sage advice at the time. We went, went on the seminar floor. It was just a bunch of, you know, really strong black belt dudes I'd never been around. I was just kind of sitting in the corner. And you had just kind of pushed me out there and introduced me to people, you know, couldn't have been kinder. And then even after that, after the seminar was done, you kept on working with me. You kept on, you, you kept on taking care of me. We went over to the hotel. We kept on training. We went over to your house. We kept on training. You guys introduced me to Saki. Um, <laughs> which we're not going to mention whether or not that was legal at the time. But um, got me back to a hotel in time. And I remember the next day you had picked me up. And I was like, we're going to be late for the seminar. I just don't care. <laughs> and walked in late. And I remember the guy who was teaching the seminar was like, ah, oh, look where they were from. They were last night. And after that seminar, worked with me up until the point where the train came and showed me that, you know, I didn't know, I didn't really know a lot, but showed me there was a lot more to learn. So uh, I can't thank you enough for that. And I don't ever but, think I did. Hey, you know, it's, it's the journey. It's, it's, it's always wonderful to, to, to work with somebody who is appreciative and someone who really wants to learn. So I saw that in your eyes and I wasn't going to let that go. So I wanted to make sure that you had got the most out of that experience. And then you brought your students along a few years later, right? Yeah, that was um, because I'd been going up, up and down there a couple times. Because from Philly to New York, it's only supposed to be about two hours. But in, with traffic, it's yeah. more like five and a half. Yeah, it's, it's forever. So we I would, so I kind of jerry-rigged that and being like, all right, we're leaving at 3 a.m., guys. Let's go. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that was... Yeah, and it's weird to think that was, you know, it was eight years ago, but it felt, felt feels like yesterday, yet it feels like forever ago. I know. It's life. It's crazy how it is. Yeah. I remember uh, our conversations uh, when I was in Missouri. Oh, Missouri. And, yeah, old Missouri. And uh, You reminded me of this, and I'm like, we had deep conversation. I remember there was a lot of drinking going on. but There was a lot of drinking going on. Well, we, uh, the, uh, we were there to uh, promote Vogel Kumite. And then uh, they had uh, established Bogo Kumite fights and broke us all up. And then uh, all of the guys from uh, my organization were separated. And then when we reconvened, we, we found out that all the different groups had nominated us to be their representative fighter. And we said to each other, but I fight you every Friday. <laughs> What's the point? <laughs> so we went back and we uh, kind of bowed out from the fighting aspect and went into the kata. But uh, because of that, we were asked to at least do an exhibition bout to show how we fought. So uh, I, I remember doing an exhibition bout um, with another uh, senior black belt. Uh, I remember that being a very lively belt. <laughs> Um, but uh, after that, I think we all decided to drink vodka. I think that was that was a very good idea. And uh, <laughs> you and I actually got to talking again. And uh, you you mentioned a few things. And, and the thing you mentioned was you were you weren't sure if you were ready for for uh, a, some uh, testing for some right uh, a test or a promotion. Yeah. And, I, and I looked you in the eyes and said, listen, John, it's really not about the rank. It's about what you get out of it. Whatever you put into it is whatever you're going to get out of it. Whether you test today or you test a year from now or five years from now, in the end, it's whatever you get out of it. If you're a better person tomorrow because of what you did today, then it's good. I think we were, we were better for that time, kind of despite a lot of things, we're better for that time than we were. Uh, yeah. So here's to that time. And hopefully if hopefully when the world peels a little more, um, here's to more. Amen. All right. Well... Anything you anything you want to you want to add before before we sign off? And that's it. I think this is a pretty long podcast. Uh, minute, one hour, sixteen seconds, sixteen minutes. One hour, sixteen minutes. Wow. I don't worry. Wait. Don't worry. There's editing involved here, <laughs> folks, <laughs> folks. Thanks for thanks for listening. Um, stay safe. Stay sane. Stay kind. And don't forget to keep training. Uh, punch people in the face. <laughs>